Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center daily podcast at the 57th New York Film Festival. My name is Eugene Hernandez, and it's day five of the 57th New York Film Festival. I'm here with my colleague, editor-in-chief of Film Comment, Nick Rapold. Welcome, Nick. Uh, hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Good, good. On today's podcast, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Nick, talk a little bit about Film Comment, um, and also um, later in this podcast, or not too not too far off into this podcast, we'll hear um, a Q&A from a film that Film Comment is presenting here at the festival. We'll get to, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but I thought it might be interesting, Nick, uh, to have you just tell tell us a little bit about um, just a little bit about your own relationship to the festival. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you're a New Yorker. That's correct. Born Gu- guilty born and as raised. charged. <laughs> yeah, raised at least. So yeah. w- when did you uh, when did you start attending the New York Film Festival? Do you remember the first year you made it? Um, that would probably be the early 2000s. But I, I don't have like a real. I mean, I've, I've been going to the Walter Reed since the early 90s. I remember clerks in New Directors, although I'm not actually sure if it was at the Walter Reed, but yeah, seeing New Director stuff in the early yeah. 90s. And then went to college, but uh, yeah. So, but New York Film Festival proper would probably be early early 2000s. And I'm guessing that probably just knowing your your legacy as a journalist, you probably were uh, you probably were covering the festival very early on. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember it was a sort of plum assignment for a reverse shot, you know, which is sort of where I kind of got my start writing longer criticism mm-hmm. um, on online at least. Um, and yeah, I, I can't remember particularly um, what what I covered there, but. Um, actually, I mean, I guess I was going as a civilian often because mm-hmm. working early as a journalist, you don't always get to pick, you know, the, the, the good the good movies. I think <laughs> an early movie I reviewed was probably more along the lines of like the Wild Par- Parrots of Telegraph Hill, a documentary about parrots. Um, in rather, Telegraph Hill, yeah, in Telegraph Hill, right? Rather than Mulholland Drive or right. Royal Tenenbaums, which you know are amazing experiences at the New York Film Festival. Well, you're you're a seasoned. Um, festival veteran. You travel yes. the world to film festivals. We recently uh, were able to experience uh, your coverage from the Venice Film Festival. Yes. Um, maybe as as someone with that worldly perspective on festivals, um, help us and help our audience understand sort of what distinguishes this festival. What is, what is it that's different or unique, I guess, about the New York Film Festival in comparison to some of the other festivals you go to? Well, the New York Film Festival... I guess, you know, it, it, it gets called a, a festival of festivals in the sense that it's the best of, of, of uh, festivals internationally, um, generally focusing on the, on the Cannes Film Festival, but, you know, uh, also Locarno and, and, and elsewhere. And not, not to say that it doesn't have its own uh, premieres, but I just think it's a very focused showcase of the best in, in contemporary cinema, um, as well as, you know, increasing offerings with documentary and, and revivals. Um, and just giving it kind of pride of place in the, in a fall calendar of arts alongside any new calendar of theater or opera, I think is a still a bigger thing than, than, you know, we we might take for granted. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a big gesture and important one. So for me, it's always a pretty special time. Mm. When you're, when you're out at the festival, when you're on stage presenting films, do you, do you feel like the audience is different in some way than the audience you see at, at the, the local, uh, cinema rep, rep, 
rep cinema or a movie theater in New York on a, on a given day? Does it feel different? Um, I mean, there's probably more of a sense of, of, of an occasion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. a special event. And, you know, I think people get excited in a special way. Uh, I mean, New York rep crowds already, I think every rare screening, uh, you know, they go to is, is, is something special to them. Mm -hmm. But here uh, at the New York Film Festival, it, you know, it just it just feels like you're going to be experiencing something great together, or maybe you're going to dis disagree about whether it's great mm -hmm. or not. Um, but again, it's 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 just about that that spotlight and that mm -hmm. feeling of of moment, something momentous a bit. Well, one of the things that um, that we've been able to do in the last few years uh, with Nick and with our colleagues at Film Comment Magazine, uh, published by Film at Lincoln Center, is is to really um, work with you and work with your colleagues at Film Comment to to shine a light on on a number of films at the festival over the years and uh, hosting a number of events and talks and things like that. So if, if you don't mind um, uh, to share with our with our listeners, maybe just a sense of some of the things that that film comment is involved with at this year's festival. And and we'll also get to get to some audio that that is connected to that as well in a moment. Yeah. Uh, film comment has a combination of of talks and and screenings at, at the New York Film Festival. Uh, and it's kind of our way of, of I guess, bringing a certain um, extra critical stamp uh, to the offerings uh, here. Uh, so in terms of a screening, we have our Film Comet Presents screening where we present uh, usually one film uh, in, in the slate. And this year it's uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, directed by Céline Siama uh, and starring Adele Ainel and Noemi Marillon. And that's our screening. So that's our way of saying, look at this movie. It's great. <laughs> it's really something we want to share with you. And, and what was it about that film, or what is it about that film? It, you presented the film uh, here at the festival on on Sunday night, and had just like a rapturous response from the audience. It just uh, the response was was overwhelmingly strong. And I wonder what it was about the film, or share with us uh, what why the film was the film comment selection this year. Yeah, I actually I really remember and, and like what you said of the film's reception that it was like a tidal wave in, in, <laughs> of emotion in the room. Yeah, um, and. Really, that's that's a lot of why we thought it would be great for, for the Neurofilm Festival and the audiences here. Um, I just remember seeing it at the Cannes Film Festival, and it was just a, an electric experience, you know, like at this gradual build, but also these particular cathartic scenes where you're just overwhelmed. Um, basically, it's just um, a wonderful and incredible love story, um, which doesn't mean like it's always a happy one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also a movie that really gets into the role of, of, of art in our lives. Um, and that's partly because it's about, you know, a portrait artist and her subject and the relationship they develop. Um, but it's, it's a relationship with many levels um, and, and many angles to it. And, you know, even just watching it, you kind of get into the idea of what it means to look at someone and to look at art. So it just seems like a completely, you know, um, you know, full body and also psychological experience for me just watching the movie and experiencing it. But above all, it's, it's a great love story. And you don't, I mean, if I think about in the past, we've shown some movies that maybe were kind of like harder, fair, um, and, and it was nice to show this. Well, it's a film that uh, will have a release later this year from Neon. And we really hope that our our listeners here on the Film at Lincoln Center podcast will get a chance to uh, to see the film. We'll get back to that movie in just a minute. Um, but maybe you want to tell us about some of the other uh, events that folks can check out, some free events that are happening that Film Common is presenting throughout the festival as well. Yes. As part of the New York Film Festival live talks, uh, we have three Film Common talks. Uh, and we've already had one, which 
is kind of every year we have a thematic talk mm. that's earlier in the festival. And in the past, it's been about uh, diversity of experience. Uh, this particular year, it was about politics and cinema mm. and just looking at the ways that filmmakers, you know, necessarily are trying to grapple with the world and how to depict current events and recent history and what that looks like and the challenges of even getting a movie made. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a special talk because we were able to have Scott Z. Burns, who's the director of The Report, mm-hmm. which is a highly anticipated movie about the torture report um, starring uh, Adam Driver, uh, the movie, not the torture report itself. Um, and so that was a you know great occasion. We also had the scholar uh, Jamshid Akrami and uh, Devika Girish, our assistant editor here at Film Comment. Um, so that was talk one. Uh, talk two is also kind of becoming an annual tradition that we really love. It's our filmmakers chat. And that's where we get together three, four, I think sometimes even five filmmakers on stage and just kind of, I like to think, kind of vent a little <laughs> and and share, you know, the highs and the lows of making movies. And that can mean, you know, just the stresses, but also the craft of it. Um, you know, for example, in this one, I'm looking forward to talking with people about what the place of editing is for each of them as a process, you know, where you're kind of consolidating what you want to make with the movie. So it's just a unique opportunity to get, you know, these different talented filmmakers in one room and one stage to talk. Uh, and I'm I'm rifling through my New York Film Festival program book to mm-hmm. try to find the page where you where this is listed. But uh, that talk is coming up this weekend. That's right. That's this Saturday uh, at 7 p.m. Like, like all the talks, mm-hmm. and then the the Wednesday following, uh, we have our final talk, which is our festival wrap, and that's where the the critics uh, get get to talk about what they've been seeing for the past two weeks. Um, so uh, you know, we gather four or five critics and just kind of you know get into it <laughs> a little. Um, and, and, you know, it's a nice kind of way to end the week and kind of bring an end uh, to, to the to the talk. So the, the festival itself continues. So you can go see movies that we recommend. <laughs> so I'm guessing on that panel, we'll find out uh, which films folks liked and yes. maybe maybe which films they didn't necessarily perhaps, like. Perhaps. All, yes, all very respectfully. But, you know, we can't help it. We have opinions. We have to say them. <laughs> Well, that's what we appreciate about Film Comment. And um, maybe just as a um, as a plug and as an opportunity to uh, evangelize for a moment, um, you know, we, we publish Film Comment and uh, there's a special, there's a new issue that's just out. And maybe yes. tell us a little bit about that new issue. Folks can pick up the latest issue on site here at Lincoln Center at the New York Film Festival. You can sign up and become a member and um, support the magazine and get a subscription. Um, or you can find us online at filmcomment.com. But tell us a little bit about what's in the new issue, certainly um, more broadly, but also related to this year's festival. Yeah, well, the September-October issue is always a special one for us because it has a special section on the New York Film Festival where we try to give people a peek of of, of what's coming up. Uh, And this one's no different. We have our cover story is Parasite, which is uh, in this year's lineup. And that, of course, is the new film from Bong Joon-ho, which won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year. And it's, I guess I've called it a kind of social thriller, um, but it's also very funny. Uh, It's kind of a you know, I don't know, rich dad, poor dad kind of movie. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like you have, basically the story is you have a, a family that works for another family in their palatial home. And then you have various tensions and frictions that arise out of that. Um, and it's just another example of Bong Joon-ho just kind of masterfully telling a story and also slipping in commentary in mm. there without you even realizing it. 
Um, so that's on our cover, but we also have um, an essay on Marriage Story, um, directed by Noah Baumbach um, and starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And, a and couple that's of th this year's, uh, that's, oh, yes. that's the centerpiece of this that year's is. New York Film Festival. Yeah. Um, and we have an essay about Angela Schanelek, which is a uh, who is a German filmmaker uh, who has been steadily making wonderful films for about, you know, 15, 20 years now or over 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, so we really just wanted to do something we try to do, which is go, go deep with the filmmaker and, and appreciate their whole career and, and take space to do that. So those are some of the films. We also talk about The Whistlers, the new film from Cornelio Porumboyu, mm -hmm. uh, and also, of course, Pain and Glory, uh, Pedro Moldovar's movie. Um, and that's a special piece for us because in addition to the critical piece we have on that film, we also actually have something that Almodovar wrote himself mm. uh, about his book collection and the role of literature and just kind of texts more broadly. So he gets a little bit into screenwriting, which so it's it's kind of a unique, you just really get to see how his mind works and it's it's a wonderful thing. Well, I really hope that, that anyone listening today will pick up a copy um, in print of the latest edition of Film Comment as a companion to this year's festival and get more coverage online at filmcomment.com, as I mentioned. Um, so for the re remainder of this podcast, uh, we're going to have uh, some audio from a Q&A last night. Um, as a way to throw to that, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're about to hear? Well, this is uh, the second screening of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, and Amy Taubin is doing a Q&A uh, with uh, the director, Celine Siama, and also the two stars of the film, uh, Adele Inel and uh, Noemi Merlin. And basically, uh, this is a special Q&A, I think, because at Cannes, um, Amy actually interviewed Celine Siama, and, and we'll be, we put a little bit of that online already. But this is just a great example of kind of a master critic, you know, really digging into a film um, that she loves uh, with three extremely talented individuals. Well, we're going to go to that audio right now. Thanks to those who are tuning in to our daily podcast from the New York Film Festival and Nick Rippold. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Eugene. What amazing film. Um, when we talked first in Cannes, um, you talked a lot about the process of collaboration. And I wonder if all three of you could speak to that and how perhaps that was a different process than is usually happens in movies. Well, the movie is basically the story of a collaboration being born uh, and um, <coughs> between the model and the painter. Um, and basically trying to re rewrite, reinterpret the, the, the myth of the muse, the fact that we believe that there is no muse, that muse was uh, behind the idea of muse, that there's the idea of a silent, fetishized woman, totally inspiring just because she's there. Um, and you know that there's been women artists since uh, forever, but uh, most of the opportunity for women of being in the workshop, well, being the model, but that didn't mean that they weren't one of the brain in the room, and that they were co-creators um, of, of of the arts. Um, and so we actually 
believe that. We tell that story and we also lived it on the set. And maybe you can complete. Um, yes, on, on set and even at the audition, I had this sensation like Celine was really creating this environment of, you know, kindness and collaboration, this horizontal gaze between all of us. And as an actor, we were not just object, we were a part of the, the, this creation. And to be part of this creation is to, to, to give us a space to express and to propose things. And so that was the, yeah. Could you very specifically talk, did you shoot this film in order? Not at all. Um, we actually shot the, all the exteriors first, so it is Brittany. Uh, we had eight days of shooting when we went through, through all the storyline, and it actually helped us to set the sentimental level of the film, because, you know, second day of shooting, they had to cry on the beach and say, your mother's coming back. It was like, who's your mother? I don't know. But uh, they were really good. Uh, and then we, we went into this castle with uh, not far from Paris, but you couldn't tell because we worked a lot. Um, and we spent basically like 30 days in this room. Um, and the hard part was that even in the castle we didn't shoot in continuity, but I don't have that fantasy anyway. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, it shouldn't be like that. Cinema should be about the present and it should be, always be about local solutions. So it should, you, you don't care what, you, I mean, I don't see why it should be better to... Actually, I think it would be more difficult to shoot it in, in the continuity. But the, the hard part was that there was the paintings, and that so we had to create like 12 different canvas with different steps. Um, and because, you know, we were shooting that in continuity, so we were like, oh, we have to make the canvas to make the nose, we have to make the canvas so that you have the last touch on the dress. So that was a hard job because each painting is like 70 hours of work, I mean, to be completed. So uh, that was the, hard, the hardest, the only hard part in that shooting in continuity is that you had to produce a whole exhibition that will be at the Met uh, in, for the release on December 6th. And did you have a particular paint, historic painter in mind? I mean, is this modeled on a particular painter? No. <clears throat> it is based on uh, something that I was totally ignorant of when I began my research. Um, I mean, I wanted to inspire myself uh, from a woman painter, and I actually discovered that there were hundreds of them who were really, really active at the time, had very flourishing careers thanks to the fashion of portrait, with the rise of bourgeoisie, people wanted to have their own, to be somebody in a frame. And um, so I actually documented myself a lot about all these women and work with a sociologist of the art who was a specialist of this period to actually invent one because we wanted to think about them all. And regarding the lightning, we didn't have any painting references, we went a lot to to the Louvre with um, the DP, Claire Maton, but actually to think about how were we gonna film a, a painter at work, how we were gonna sh yeah, shoot that, and, and, and what were the paintings that we were going to make. 
but regarding the lighting, even though we were always thinking people are going to say, oh, this is Vermeer, this is de Latour, but it's normal because we actually asked ourselves the question of the painter and we found the solutions of, in cinema. Uh, I have a question for Adele. Is this the first period film you've ever done? Because you're, you're, you are such a, a modern woman. And so I wondered what, what work you did or if it felt like you were doing something that was different in that way. Uh, well, it's not the first period piece I, I did, but um, I never really, because I, I played in La Polonide, which is another period piece, French. Uh, well, I didn't really wanted to play uh, like in the way you are supposed to play uh, when it's a period piece, which means like it involves a lot of cliché from the representation of this specific period of time that is the 18th century. So I, I'd rather like, I mean, we took several um, uh, limit from uh, like, Sorry for, for my English now, I'm missing, but uh, I, uh, yes, we, we apply some rules that are uh, like, like uh, that belongs to this uh, reconstitution thing. And I would say like one of them is uh, not uh, like speaking very clearly, a bit slower for me because I'm speaking all the time and uh, less with my hands as well. And well, this kind of thing. But then it was not for me, it was not about trying to portray this century, but more about, uh, sorry, I'm losing my word, actually. I'm totally losing my word, I'm sorry. Just, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I'll make it. it, it it's clear. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask the two actors, at once, you say to the painter that she is looking too, that you are both doing this reciprocal thing. Everything in the film changes at that point, and your relationship to each other changes. And that looking that you do with each other on the screen and the time that's given to you to do that is extraordinary. And so did you feel, I mean, when did you feel that you had began to really look? And did that change in the film? Well, to me, I just, uh, you, you ask about the continuity and I really, I really built my character as a journey between, uh, so being an object to being a subject. And so this is the turning point where there's this scene where I, like, I said like, uh, if you're looking at me, who I'm looking at, it's really a turning point. But from the beginning of the movie, I know I am looked at. As, I think that's different for the character of Marianne, who is ignoring the fact that she's being looked at also, you know. So it's more, to me, it's a turning point in a direction that I become really a subject, but Marianne, like, notice at that point that she's also an object in my eyes, you know. So I think this, this is a turning point. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's it's this movie is all about gays, and at that turning scene, the everything is like more like open, like 
because we start to really create something together. Not only this portrait, not only art, but also we start to create our story together, our collaboration, our love. And so the breath is more open, the eyes are more open, the, the, the mouth, the smile is more open. So um, I think then the acting was start, like even the dress was less tight, you know. Um, there are not many films about two women in love who are grown-up women. There are a lot of films now about girls coming of age and finding each other. But you can count on one hand, pretty much. Um, the I did four of them. Four of them. De <laughs> nada. <laughs> yeah. So, um, did you feel that you were inventing the language for this film? <clears throat> well, making a film is always about inventing a language, I think. But, um, yeah, this time I felt, because I did coming-of-age stories, and, and it's about the rise of desire, and it's, about, it's not about discovering somebody, it's about discovering yourself. Um, and this time, with grown-up characters, it's a love that is expressed and lived, and, and, and it's actually totally different, because it's meeting the, the other. Um, and yes, it felt like a departure from a lot of things. Uh, in, and it feels like you have to, it's not only inventing, it's, it's also you have, you, you kind of pay tribute to an imaginary that isn't represented, but still exists. I'm not inventing all this. Uh, it's experiences and a culture that are not mainstream or that get, tends to be experimental or avant-garde and that never becomes mainstream so far when it's made by women. Um, and so it should be about, uh, yeah, paying attention to these imaginaries, saying they, are, they exist, they do exist, but also inventing, of course, because it's a film so and it's mine. So. Uh, it's it's the way to have the the whole package of contribution. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's English, but uh. and did you, I'm I'm going to open it up for questions. Okay, I have one more. I want to do this one more. Um, at what point did you decide that that you would not have music except for the singing on the beach and the Vivaldi? At the beginning of the process of thinking about the film, I mean, it's always a decision that I take very early in the process, whether there'll be music in the film or not, because it definitely influences the writing. Because if there's no music, then you have to find the rhythm that allows, that allows it. And also you have to find the, the musically, the film has to be, you have to find the film's melody without with knowing that there won't be music. So you have to take this decision very early on because then you also in, you're not, you're not going to leave room. You're not, you know, I mean, it's really not the same. Um, and it was a matter of uh, um, reconstitution, actually. I wanted to put you in the same position as the character there. I mean, there's a frustration regarding beauty and the arts. You know, when she finds a book, it's like, okay, it's a book. I'm going to read it 20 times, uh, and they have to, and have to, they have to go to church to listen to music. And um, um, and so I wanted you to be equals with them. And so also that so that you could feel that rush uh, and that joy when you finally 
connect to music uh, with the character. Are there questions? Yeah, right down here. Uh, that I feel that it's been very dense, this film. I would really like to know what was the process after finishing the movie, uh, in the editing part, uh, and after the first time you watch it completely, you as the actresses and you as the director, because I don't want to exaggerate, but it's one of my favorite films in life, really. And really, really. And I, I'm sure everybody here has looked at a lot of films, me too, and it's not easy to say this, but really. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <clears throat> well, we are proud, if that's your question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's actually been yeah, pretty intense all the way, and, and, and I, I wanted to build a film that could be like a home and, and, and a shelter, maybe, also. Um, and, uh, I've enjoyed a lot living in the film, and I think the editing process, for, in, for instance, was like really uh, simple, I must say. Um, and that's the thing with this film, that it's actually very dense, very, we hope, very new. Um, but it feels quite simple, quite going straight forward. And, you know, just, um, and it's also really, uh, agreeable to live in a film because I've, I'm I just, I'm still living in this film. I have to step out of the room to let you guys in, but you know when you're gone, I'm stepping back in there. Um, it's a movie with there where there's no uh, ancient old conflicts or old negotiation, and you know it's it's a movie that's that's built around equality within the characters, and I that that feels new because that that gives us the surprise. Everything can happen. And um, I, I think that's why it feels comfortable, even though it's painful to live that story. Uh, could you speak about the final sequence in the film, uh, the close-up on Adele as she's listening to the orchestra, just the process of filming that, how many takes, and Adele, what was going through your mind as you were sort of having to go through this long <laughs> expression of emotion? Well, um, <clears throat> This scene has been uh, the key scene uh, of the film since the beginning of writing. It was like I had that scene in mind. I wanted to make the film to make that scene. So it was like a compass. So obviously when the day comes, it's um, quite stressful. I think it's the most difficult scene that I ever did with, with me doing actually nothing because it's a lot of uh, machinery and focus guy is sweating and everything is on the shoulders of Adele. Um, but I trusted her with this. Um, regarding the takes, I, I think we did one, because there's only there's one, but we did three, if you want to know. <laughs> and this is the third one. Um, and we, uh, I'd given Adele like several steps of emotion she has to go through, but without timing whatsoever. And really like, it was really like five, I don't know, like she remembers. She thinks about a lost love. She listens to the music and enjoys it. She, then she's sad, you know, really simple steps uh, that I, and, and I trusted her to embody them at 
the rhythm that she wanted. She just had two uh, constraints that was to close her eyes at some point and in the end to have the breathing um, the, for the cut. Yes, it was written at the end of the script, the more uh, living face ever. Uh, That's the last word of it, is, yeah. Our last face is la plus the, la, yeah, la plus vivante, the more, the, I don't know you say that. <laughs> Alive. The, the most, most alive, uh, yeah, most her last alive. face would so be the most alive. So that was kind of a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and to answer, I don't know, because it's just a matter of concentration and being able to, I think there's something very sportive in this kind of shot, because it's like you, it's like when the ski, uh, when the people slalom and ski, no? You just have to to be aware of what's coming next, because after it's going to go so fast that you, you you will have to just focus on the on the curve, you know. So it's I am sorry for this metaphor, but this is how I this is how I think about this scene. It was more about uh, yeah jumping into something you don't really know where it's gonna lead you, but you just gotta you just have to do it. You, there's no there's no way you can miss it, you know. So so this is how I did it. Voilà. <laughs> Another, yeah, yeah, There's hi. a hand right here in the, the mic on dead middle. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, something that really struck me was like the silence and kind of the quietness of it. And I wanted to know how uh, in the writing process that kind of developed and uh, if you knew exactly what it would look like when uh, you were writing. But you mean the sound, the silence you said? Uh, the scenes where there were like a lot of this gazing into each other's eyes and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a process of making silence. The, the movie is more and more and more silence. Like after the, the, the bonfire scene, it's basically that there's no more birds or whatsoever. It's, it's, it's also about you. It's, it's about the room. It's about you. It's about you being focused and, and, and also silence and, and hearing the people around you being a crowd, um, especially when it's emotional. I really wanted a movie that you would watch like that. <laughs> but creating silence in cinema is really difficult because, you know, it's not about putting nothing. You have to, you know, it's this is, and now sound now, for 20 years now, 30 years now, sound is specialized, so, um, so you have to create silence by putting sound in it, which is quite difficult when it's a period piece because otherwise you use a lot of electric elec electric sound. You know, uh, if you don't, you, you can put planes, you can put uh, you, you can put a lot of notes, you can put the fridge, mm, you can put the. I mean, David Lynch is. I'm always using David Lynch's sonotech because I don't like birds that much, so I'd, I'd rather use fridge or neons, and. Um, but with the period piece, you don't have those kinds of texture. So you have to find something else. Um, and with a film that is by the seaside and with uh, chimneys, it's all about fire and, and the sea. And this is also kind of boring, you know. This could be like something that you don't even hear anymore because it's always there. So there was a lot of challenge regarding the sound editing, trying to find how to make silence that is um, filled with something that is not precise, but that you actually feel 
uh, and it has a lot to do with sub and the things that talks to your stomach. I don't know if I'm answering your question, actually. Um, and I, well, this, I talked about sound. We, we never talk about sound. We should talk about sound. <laughs> and there's a lot of off-screen sound. Um, I mean, sometimes the movie gets a lot of movement from listening to someone coming from far away in the house, and yeah, which is kind of amazing. You don't hear that very often. Another hand out there. Yeah, down here. Well, wherever you got it, but there are two people down in the first row that I'd like to give a chance to, and of course, I think we only have time for two more. Hello. Hi. First, I would like to uh, congratulate everyone for making this beautiful movie. Uh, my question is for Celine, the director. Um, in the movie, Marianne play, uh, paints a portrait of her muse. And do you think your work as director, doing a lot of close-ups in the actresses, it is kind of the same process, you being painting a portrait of these ladies, and in the end, Marianne finds very difficult to say goodbye to her muse. Is it difficult for you to say goodbye to your muses as a filmmaker, and if you're gonna miss the process of having to make the movie? Um, well, the good thing is we no, we're not. They're not going to convent. Um, well, they might get married, but I'm okay with this, you know. <laughs> Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not in love, um, but, this is, but we love each other very much. Um, yeah, well, the movie is quite open to the fact that it's talking about, yeah, artists at work and cinema. That's why I pick painting, you know, because it, I, I feel it's close. Um, and also because usually you pick writing because you just have to, you know, there's somebody doing this and like, okay, he's a writer. Painting is more... Um, but um, I think uh, I try to make films that talk about the future. Uh, I try to make a film with the dynamic of love that says, "Love is I love you" is always something you say in the future. It's always something that has a future. So I'm not being nostalgic at all, uh, and I get to live a lot of uh, events and passion around the film with these guys. So no, I'm, I feel actually lucky to have created something that gives us a future together. Okay, we'll get you two. Okay, um, you kind of touched on it, but <laughs> obviously the film is about a painter, but music and writing also have a prominent role. And I kind of just wanted to know how all of you viewed the, those different art forms functions and if they're sort of articulating the same thing or playing different parts? Well, as I said, it, with, with painting and the fact that we get to ask ourselves the questions of the painter, that's cool with cinema, we also get to ask ourselves the question of composers, musicians, and the question of literature through writing or through ideas, like page 28 is like definitely an idea that you would find in a 19th century novel. Um, but uh, that's the beauty of this, is that we, we don't get to be good at everything, but we get to play with everything. And, um, but mostly we ask ourselves the questions of cinema. That's, that's, that's our answers anyway. It's, our answers are always about cinema. 
But th this is also a film about loving arts and how arts consoles us and how love, sentimental education is also an education to art. You know, every love story has uh, its uh, score or its um, song or its books or its, and and sometimes you will read a book that will make you think about the past love story that has nothing to do with the book. But it, it's this cir circling curation between love and art is also at the center of uh, the film. Um, so I just, I was curious about whether or not there is a significance in the color, colors of the dresses, because, you know, in the film, we see Marianne in the red dress, um, Eloise in the blue dress, and they don't change ever until the very end when they part ways, you notice that um, Marianne wears a navy dress. So I just wanted to know if there was a specific reason why you chose that. Well, I'm not at all into the symbolic of colors, and um, I uh, and I'm always asked this question. Though I guess I should have an answer, but it's I'm really not. I mean, I just pick the colors because I'm trying to to make something that I like and to have the, the contrast that I want. Also, the fact that they have one dress uh, is a way to design a character very strongly, and also to be true. You know, it's always like a fashion defile when it's a period piece and. You know, this woman, they don't have much money. This is like the small aristocracy of Brittany and, and felt right to have them have one dress. And it's also a way to build characters for me that they have a uniform. Uh, this is my only suit, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> but I have it in 12, uh, so you know. Um, and you know, in all my films, there's blue, for instance, and, and this time also, well, the, the, the walls are, are blue, and and, but, and everybody's like, what's what's the problem with blue? What do you have with blue? And I'm like, I'm, I don't I don't know. I know it's the favorite color of French people, but uh, I'm not cynical enough to to put it out there because of that. Um, so. No, there's no hidden signification or symbolism in the colors. It's just about, you know, picking them and, and yeah, making an image that you, you you like. Thank you all very very much. Thank you for the thank film you. and thank you for this. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Film at Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City and supported by individuals just like you. For 50 years, we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals, series, retrospectives, and new releases. The publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org.